Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 197 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis. Today, we're going to be talking about radial pressure wave therapy with guest Chris Proop. We're going to be talking about how this modality works. We'll be talking about the different diagnoses that you can treat with it. We'll go over some of the contraindications, application techniques, and so much more. Um, but before we get started, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. Welcome back. So one of the things I really love the most about podcasting is that I get to educate folks. And, you know, 95% of the time, I have seen it all, I've done it all, and I'm bringing you a lot of experience. But one of the things I don't know a lot about is radial pressure wave therapy. I've always been curious about it. And so what I thought I would do is bring the expert on to help fill us in on what this is, how it works, and how we can utilize it as medical practitioners um, in our offices with our patients. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. All right. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, I'm not how far... Did you, how did you get involved with, with RPWT? Yeah, I, I started probably almost almost 15 years ago when I used to consult. I was a full-time professor, faculty at that time at Westfield State University and was doing some work with an organization called Chattanooga and International and um, started working with a couple different manufacturers and, and testing out and utilizing in both the uh, in the in the lab setting and then also as a as an active clinician in the uh, in the patient setting. Super. So you know, in simple terms, what is radial pressure wave therapy? How does this how does this work? So the the devices there's a couple different mechanisms to generate it, but it generates an acoustic wave. But unlike therapeutic ultrasound, the pressure is much, much higher. So it comes from the, the lineage of lithotripsy, right? So it's using an acoustic wave. So that way it can, it can deliver its energy through the surface of the patient a little bit more readily. So we get a similar depth of penetration as some of our other physical agents, but instead of it you know, being more minute, um, it's now a pressure wave. So through mechanotransduction, it can stimulate receptors that receive pressure information um, on the outside of the cells. Cool, cool. So how describe to me what the machine looks like. You know, is it similar to an ultrasound? Um, you know, if you could give us a, like a little physical description. Now we're on a podcast, so it's hard to just show pictures and things like that. So if you can give us a description. Yeah, great. so... So it uh, so the, the devices I've been using the most are pneumatic. So there's an air compressor inside of these devices 
and it forces the air high pressure through to an applicator. And inside of that applicator, there's a large magnet and a valve that releases that pressure quickly. And it forces a projectile down a tube to a, a bullet going through a gun barrel. And it slams up against the applicator piece. And it has a trend of approximately one to two millimeters. And it creates a concussion. And that concussion releases that acoustic wave pattern. And then it's going to hit the tissue. And I kind of equate that to people like, if you put your, your face up next to a loudspeaker um, and you could feel that air pressure coming through skin, you could feel that. Well, this actually generates a very high amount of pressure. And as a result of that, with more pressure waves behind it, it propagates right? And so we're adding wave to wave to wave, and that increases the pressure in the tissue, and it also increases the pressure through its depth of penetration, and results in a very high positive pressure, and then it comes back down and creates actually a, a negative pressure in that pocket, and I was using the analogy with a clinician yesterday, and kind of like when someone does a cannonball into the pool, right? it brings with it, you know, a, a lot of force and then it creates the get around it and then releases. So it goes from a very high positive pressure to a pressure and then back to a high positive pressure and the water squirts everywhere. Yeah. All right. Now, is that painful for the patient? It doesn't have to be painful, but the nature is because we're applying a mechanical energy eventually. So it starts his life as acoustic as a sound wave but it's a very high pressure. So as, as soon as it hits the tissue, it becomes a mechanical sensation in, in nature. Um, but as a result of being a mechanical form of energy with the intent of causing disruption to the tissue, um, it's not the most comfortable thing, but it doesn't have overtly uncomfortable or painful. Okay. Now, I know in the past people used to receive something like extracorporeal shockwave therapy, and they had a little bit of bruising associated with that. Will, it, will this cause the same type of effect? So it, it can. And what we know about, about uh, focus shockwave, the extracorporeal shockwave treatment, that, um, that bruising is actually a side effect. We used to think it was part of the treatment. It, was, it needed to occur to be an effective treatment. Um, but we now know that that's not the case. And so we've backed on the energy dosage because there's two components. One is the potential disruption to the tissue matrix that we're dealing with, similar to like cross-friction massage, for example, or IASTEM. And then what we're finding more today is that the changes in the pressure differential, um, its influence on the, on the cell and the tissue, um, but also just the pressure wave itself creating stimulus cell instigating various activity in the, in the tissue environment. All right. Now, um, so what are some of the most common types of diagnoses that um, you would treat with this as a, as a medical provider? So historically, we found that it does shine best in these recalcitrant areas. So more chronic conditions that really weren't responding more appropriately, probably because, you know, something's been around long enough, right? So we're no longer in that tissue healing environment where we've classically gone from injury, where there was edema formation and then clean up and then, and then you know, 
fibroblastic activity, kind of where people bypassed all that. They've been in this chronic situation. And so what happens is it reinvigorates that environment to then reestablish that, that healing process. So that's where it's always shines. Think of things like, you know, calcific tendonitis in the chronic um, plantar fasciitis, chronic tendinopathy. And so those chronic conditions in reestablishing a, a new healing environment really has been tended to respond really well from a mechanical form of energy. Okay. Now, do you keep that sound head or that, that head stationary, or is that moving when you're doing the treatment? So we, we've really got options. So we are, it's fairly stationary, moving it in these little tiny circles as to not irritate the skin. And that, that's the reason for that. Otherwise, because we're really trying to establish a dose response into the tissue. So that means not moving it around. So much less motion than if you were using a therapeutic ultrasound. So classically over the, the site of the pathology. And then we also have some other options as you would with some of your other tools in performing much larger movement patterns and performing some sort of myofascial release. And in that case, you are performing a more dynamic, larger surface area, surface volume uh, technique. And, and how many treatments do people typically receive? Um, let's say uh, a recalcitrant plantar fasciitis uh, or fasciopathy. What would, what would be the common number of treatments and, and how long does each treatment take? So each treatment as, as a result of the number of impulses to provide the appropriate dosage, it takes between five and 10 minutes, depending on if you're treating a much more dynamic area in addition to. And the number of treatments is going to be typically between four and eight. So on average, we treat about six times and we, we do it about once a week, especially using you know, a little bit more of an aggressive approach because we want the tissue to respond and give it the opportunity to really do what it needs to do as we find with most other physical agents in optimizing the, bottle, the body's internal environment. Yeah, and I've noticed that there's some research backing this up and um, it really looks like it's you know fairly positive. I haven't really seen any bad um, side effects or anything like that to it. Are there any certain contraindications to using um, you know, RPWT? Yeah, so you know, based on the perspective and how it's been used, potential side effects. So we do indications for people that have um, and are on anticoagulants, you know, uh, uh, for example, um, over the areas of a woman who is pregnant. So pretty standard for all of our physical agents. Um, caution over superficial uh, neurovascular bundles. Most people will report and let you know whether or not they're going to let you do it um, over uh, sites of cancer. So you can still treat a, a patient that has a cancer. You just don't treat over the site of the cancer and also over implanted uh, devices and hardware. So if they have a new uh, implant for um, a, a stimulator or if they also have an implant, you know, a recent uh, joint replacement. All right, now here's the big question. I know everybody's waiting to, for this one here. What is the reimbursement like? You know, how do we bill for this? And, and, and can we get paid for using RPWT? 
Yeah. So what you'll find is most of the major carriers, you know, Aetna, Blue Cross will specifically outline that in general, they do not pay. So it is considered by, by their standard uh, experimental and unproven. And there are a couple carriers that may uh, reimburse in the plantar fasciitis or potentially in a chronic shoulder. Um, but there's a lot of criteria that you have to you have to fulfill there. So it becomes more of a of an out of pocket expense um, directed towards the patient. Now, if you are using it dynamically, and it is basically the clinician, in that sense, you may be able to, you know, uh, classify it under 97140. So that way, you know, they're, they're performing it as part of their manual therapy technique. But it's important to remember and, and qualify um, the criteria that's necessary. So it really wouldn't um, really wouldn't qualify under that because that means that there's not a lot of energy being performed by the clinician. Right, right. Um, did I miss anything? Is there anything that you'd like to add about radio pressure wave um, therapy that uh, people out there should know? Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm a manual therapist. Love me some hands-on technique. I think where, you know, be, where I involved in it and excited was because it gets to a much greater depth of penetration. So some studies have shown it's, it's depth, even at low energy gets to almost seven centimeters. So it has a similar, you know, influence as some of our other physical agents, but unlike all of our other physical agents, this is really the only mechanical application that gets to that depth of penetration that gives us all the outcomes that are there. I think the other thing, Paul, that, that it really matches up with kind of where we are in, in, in healthcare these days, where a lot of clinics are, you know, maybe they're only seeing patients once a week, twice a week. And so, you know, with the application procedure only being really once a week, I, it might be a little bit easier, you know, in, in terms of scheduling some of those patients. It could be an out-of-pocket expense, but because of the amount of procedures necessary, um, I, I think that makes it a little bit more palatable for some people as well. Yeah. And I assume you just wouldn't do that treatment alone. You'd probably do it in conjunction with other manual therapies that you're doing with the patient. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm not... I'm not in the camp of saying that any one single thing fixes anything. Um, and so it, it does, you know, some similar influence that we superficial that when we perform our other, you know, manual therapy techniques, such as myofascial releases, iostim, but like I said, it gets a, a much greater depth of, of penetration. You're also getting the benefit of the vibratory influence that you get and, and, uh, um, and so like with iostim, you would, it, it would be part of an overall regimen and unlikely is going to be the only procedure that you'd be performing. All right. Well, cool. That's, you know, tons of information on, on RPWT. I love it. Um, I can't wait to, uh, you know, experiment with it, use it and try it and, uh, you know, get it in here just to see, um, you know, how our patients respond to it. I think that it's always good to, you know, have those tools in your toolbox, you know, so that they're there for you when you need to use them. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like modalities. I think there's a great place for them. I don't think we have to overuse them, but I think when you need them, they're there. Um, and that's, 
and that's really cool. So Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, if there is, if anybody out there is interested in getting in touch with you, they might have some real specific questions about RPWT. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, I've got an email and the cool thing is, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I have a cool job that allows me to spend a lot of time with clinicians like yourself. So email works best. And so it's my first name, C-H-R-I-S dot Prue, P as in Paul, R-O-U-L-X as in xylophone. Yes, French Canadian descent. So Chris dot at D-J-O-G-L- O-B-A-L. So it stands for djoglobal.com. And so that's probably the easiest way to get in, uh, to get in contact with me. And um, so I spend a lot of time in front of my computer on, on certain days. And so happy to answer any follow-up questions people might have. Super. And uh, since we've had a few glitches on and off uh, on the audio uh, during today's podcast, I'm going to, I'll put that um, link and email address in the show notes so that you folks can, you know, just jump on it there and, uh, and get to Chris. Uh, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And I know that the folks from MedCorp professionals really love working with you and, um, that, you know, when you do some talks and stuff like that, it's very, uh, crisp, clear, and concise, and uh, really gets to uh, the bottom of things. So um, that's awesome. Um, so folks, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, you know, just make sure that um, you uh, get to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting station that you listen to us on. And uh, be safe, learn lots, and uh, take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.